Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to City Watch's American Citizens podcast. My name is Gray. Josh is here. Hello, Josh. Hello! And we are also joined by The View from England, Joe Bailey, our Eddie Head correspondent. Welcome back, Joe. Hello, hello. And we have a whole lot to get to today because <laughs> um, City decided that this was the time to play a six-goal thriller with Celtic at Parkhead. And the first drop points of the Pep Guardiola era, we knew it would come eventually – I don't think we quite expected to come in this game, but here we are. So we're going to try to figure out what the heck happened there, because I don't think it was the game that any of us really expected. And I don't think it was not not, not only the outcome, but the way it went as far as play goes. So we're going to go right to Joe and... There were a lot of individual mistakes that we will get to, but for, for me, the biggest problem in the game was the fact that they did not get a hold of the midfield until it was too late. And I'm curious to know why you think that is, because that is not a problem that I expected them to have in this game. Yeah, the game was stupidly open and... To be honest, I don't really have a definitive response to your question because I was left a little bit flabbergasted about just how open and how end-to-end that game was and how much time they had in midfield. But uh, if I, would, I, I believe it's probably something to do with our press. We just did not force the issue when the likes of Scott Brown was on the ball um, I feel like, I know we'll be talking more about individual errors later on, but I feel like the game kind of uh, passed Gundogan by a little bit. I feel like it was almost played around him. Um, and I somehow we just didn't seem to have the legs in the centre of the park, and that's where the problem was. Um, and And then, obviously, for the first goal, without wanting to go too much in detail... Uh, it was too way too open on the wing on the uh, their left wing. Um, I'm not sure whether Zabaleta was uh, out of place or out of position, but uh, it certainly seemed like um, Tierney, their left back, could just walk into that big space, and Sterling was trying to track him back. And um, sorry, that was for the second goal, um, but there are a lot of individual errors that probably constituted um, to their chances. But at the same time, we just didn't have the legs in the centre or or the same intensity, I think, uh, that we've had earlier on in the season where they've been forced into mistakes and we've got the ball back. Can I, can I also add something to that? You remember a couple shows ago, Gray, when I said everything's going perfect now? 
but people need need to get used to the idea. Like when when Guardiola started Bravo in the Manchester Derby, and I said that that was a massive mistake, but that these are the types of mistake Guardiola makes, and you have to learn to live with them. Yesterday's lineup was Guardiola outthinking himself. Yeah, I've got that on here, and we can jump ahead to it. Yeah, right sorry, now. I just definitely we can I, jump I, ahead. No, yeah, we can jump ahead to it right now, honestly, because um, I, I feel like Kolarov's a part of that. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, let, let's start here. Did did Pep get it wrong by dropping John Stones? Yes. Yes, definitely. I agree, I agree um, completely. Yeah, if I was to expand on that, I, I think that we've seen Kolarov do well, but against teams we've been very dominant against, and against teams that haven't been willing to press us um, high up the pitch. Um, so we saw him excel against Bournemouth, who sat deeper. We saw him excel when he came on against West Ham, Sunderland. Um, he's had a great start for that reason, but what Celtic did with um, Rodjic and then Dembele running uh, in behind uh, really caused him problems. Uh, he didn't have that time on the ball. He didn't have time to pick out a pass a lot of the time um, to run into the midfield. In fact, I can barely think of uh, a moment where Kolarov had multiple touches on the ball consecutively where he was able to take the ball out into the midfield. Um it was a very different game and for him, and he really struggled. And he struggled with the simple things as well. Celtic um, played a lot of long balls over the top to to use Dembele's pace. And although Kolarov got onto those balls before Dembele did, for the most part, uh, he was rushed into then making a mistake where Celtic regained the ball. So definitely it was a mistake, and John Stone should have played this one. Yeah. I agree yep. completely. Um, and and Josh, I'll, I'll ask you first. Um, do City have to pick and choose the games that they put Carl Robert center back in? Because this was an instance where, like Joe just said, he didn't have a lot of time on the ball and he didn't have a lot of. Can I be honest? Like, I don't think Kolarov should ever be the starter at center back. Like. I think Kolarov should operate as the left back who comes in on that rotating three at the back uh, system that Guardiola lo- lo- used to lo- loves to use so much. But at the rate that Otamendi and John Stones have been playing alongside one another in a Champions League game, why weren't they starting? I couldn't tell you that. And I was I was as surprised as as you guys were probably to see that John but Stones the, was not in the eleven. But these are the sorts of things that Guardiola does in big games. If you think back to Bayern when he decided to play three at the back uh, against uh, Barca's Trident, and that went about as the only thing that was missing from that game was Bayern surrendering a goal in that 20 minute period before Guardiola decided to make an adjustment and go with the traditional back four. Um, they still wound up getting throttled anyway, but I, the point still stands that there are times when Guardiola, like, look, I am not talking trash on Pep. Mad geniuses come up with plans that sometimes don't work. You don't get 
to where Guardiola is without making some massive, massive decisions that have people scratching their head. Which he's already done, and several of them have worked. We should put that Most there. of no, 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 no. Yeah. Most of them have worked. We have he, had very few instances of things where But it's not even this. about us. Look at, yeah. look at what he did at Bayern, bringing in Diego Costa and starting him over Frank Ribery. I mean, I know there were injury issues, but I believe in my heart of hearts that, that Guardiola would have started Costa anyway. I think Costa's better suited for Guardiola than, than uh, frankly, I think Ribery's past his time anyway. I don't care what numbers he's putting up this year. Um, but he did it at Barca when he dropped, like, Deco and Ronaldinho and, and brought in... Uh, you know, all these kids from the youth. What was it, Ronaldinho? Yeah, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Just wanted to double check. Uh, brought in uh, a bunch of these youth players that nobody outside of La Masia had heard before. And now you're getting Squawker writing articles like uh, the most important player on Barca. The player that Barca can't live without is not Lionel Messi, it's Sergio Busquets. That's Pep. Uh, uh, going back to the game, are you a little surprised, Gray, that um, it took so long for Pep to eventually move Kolarov out to the left side and then put Stones in? Yeah, I was. I thought it made, and I, you know, I don't think Clichy was the worst player on the pitch or anything like that, but um, he had to be sacrificed. I think you can still get something out of Kolarov at left back. But at the same time, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with an instance where your center backs were just struggling. Otamendi was the best yesterday, and that's not saying a whole lot. Um, yeah. It was just, you know, after that, that third goal in particular, where he just scuffed the clearance right to Dembele and just gifted them the third goal, I was just like, you got to get him out of there for... for <laughs> For for the team's own good, for his own good, for everyone's own good. Yeah, you need you need to move him out of there. But the, I was I was surprised. I thought that adjustment. I would I would not have actually been shocked to see them make an adjustment at halftime. To be honest with you, even though they looked like they had been growing into the game a little bit before the half, and then they score immediately after halftime, and they just, it just fell apart again. It it felt it. And they did finally get the midfield under control, but it was after it was 3-3, and it felt like at that point Celtic just kind of, I don't know. Shut it, shut yeah. it down. And I went think there the was point. a combination of shutting it down and going for the point, and their approach was so intense that after the hour mark, I think they kind of petered out a little bit. Yeah. Um, and City, for the, you know, for the most part, did too. I mean, I was looking at Damo's assessment of the game, and he was just simply saying, like, there was nothing left on both sides. This was a fantastic game, you know? Like, when you see that many players exhausted after the game, the phrase, leave it, on, leave it all on the pitch, comes to mind. And mm -hmm. that's basically what happened in that 60-minute window. Like, I, Celtic's strategy seemed to be... We are going to blitzkrieg them and try and get out in front and shatter Manchester City's fragile mindset. 
and as everyone on their brother, everyone and their brother noted on Twitter, and I expect a few more tweets about it today, that I can't remember the last time a city team came back after going down three times in a row. And that is something that I want to talk about. Because Sorry, yeah. I did. I don't mean to jump we, ahead. Yeah, we we started a bit negatively here, and you know that's get 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 out of the way first. But last year's team wilts after, if not the se- the first goal, the second goal. No, last team years melts after the first goal because it happened three minutes into the game. That yeah. just destroys them. Like that's that's basically like, oh hey, we just settled in. We just uh, lost. Yeah. Yeah. That, that the, was the mentality. The mentality, you can see the difference already. Because last year, they don't come back once or twice or three times. And it pissed not- me off that people were saying that this was Pellegrini-esque, you know, type of game. And I'm like, bull. Pellegrini never got his team full of enough confidence to say, okay, we may not win this game, but we're sure as hell not going to lose it and give three points to Celtic. Because in this group, every point you can possibly get, whether it's one point when you have three or whether it's three points, you need to take them because you have to figure one, if not two, losses are coming at the hands of Barca. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, about the those comments about uh, being a Pellegrini game, I think that one incidentally, for the most part, it wasn't a Pellegrini game at all. But once it got to three all, when and then when we started dominating possession, I I couldn't stop thinking about the Pellegrini era, the way we were attacking, and I, I know we we were supposed to move to be more positive, but um. We, the build-up play was very Pellegrini-esque. The damn you. Pellegrini-esque. It was just... <laughs> it, we were just building up very slowly. They managed to get enough players behind the ball, and then we were kind of moving it... We were doing that thing we used to do where we were moving it around the box, but not being direct in any way. Can I, uh, can yeah. I jump in and ask a question that Gray had on a little bit further? Yeah, sure. But I feel like it... It, it's probably more important in the context of this conversation than B. How much of that came down to, and I'll ask Gray too, how much of that came down to the absence of KDB? Because David Silva... Yeah, I d- I, I'm, not, I'm not someone that's going to say we would have won that with De Bruyne. Because, and I know, I know what you're saying. De Bruyne gives us something that no one else does in a sense that he can create direct counterattacks. He can he can just change not just counterattacks but regular attacks. He can make that killer pass, that killer direct pass, and then it can go in seconds later. But I mean, we had Silver in that advanced role. He later moved out to the left hand side, um, and then we had uh, Gundogan and Sterling. And given the way they've played, I was fully expecting them to carry on the way we've been playing. Uh, against a very weak Celtic side, like I, I don't want to say that we we dropped points because, or we could have scored late because De Bruyne was absent or anything like that. Um, 
what what I'd say though is we just could not find that final ball. And incidentally, Pep mentioned it uh, after the Swansea game that a lot of the football was good, but then it came to the final pass and we couldn't quite get there. We weren't quite on the same wavelength at the top. And I think that was one of the main problems throughout. Yeah. Um, I feel like maybe we should have seen this coming at the weekend because they they had a lot of the same issues. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not going to blame De Bruyne's absence for this because I, I, their goals came from a bit of direct play, at least the first two in particular. Silva just pressed high, won the ball, and delivered the ball to Sterling on the second one. Um, they got a little bit lucky on the first one, but it was, again, right at the box. Here here it is, have at it. Um, you mentioned, sorry to cut you off, Gray, you mentioned um, one of the problems there. Um, when you said Silva was pressing up, we d- we just didn't do enough of that. Yeah, we didn't. They didn't, there wasn't just, an urgency. And I think that was the frustrating part because those were not, you know, with all due respect to Celtic, they played very well. But those were not top, top, top class players, and City should have been on them, basically. Um, trying, yeah. trying to force them into mistakes, trying to hassle them, trying to make them uncomfortable. They didn't do that enough. When they did, it worked. And yeah. I, it, that, that's the frustrating well, that's part. that's one of the reasons I was asking about KDB. My intent isn't what – I want to be clear here. I am in no way, shape, or form pinning the loss on KDB. When yeah. you talk about that in final decisive in, and incisive ball, you talk about his ability to get things going in the transition, and the way that KDB breaks is so intelligent that everybody else breaks, well, in the appropriate directions, if you will, yeah. for lack of a better term. And that that didn't seem to be happening. So... When I say that how much of that is down to KDB, what I'm curious about is how much of that linking play, those quick outlets that KDB could turn into four-on-three or four-on-two advantages in the blink of an eye was just a beautiful uh, uh, pass up the beautiful through ball. Um, It just... You know, I, Silva can't do that. He just can't. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's your point there, Josh. Uh, that's it's it's hard to deny that that's something we uh, were lacking. And I think going back to the press, that De Bruyne has done that really well this season in the centre of the park. Um, it's I mentioned earlier on in the this podcast that Scott Brown had way too much time on the ball. And he's he's not an excellent player. He's he's one of their best players, but he's not excellent. And he he had he has a mistake in him if we put, apply that amount of pressure. Um, but the the problem with us off the ball was all over the pitch. Really, we just didn't have that team press where we used to uh, early on in the season. We used to sort of hunt in packs, if you will. Um, you know, Aguero was jogging for the most part off the ball. Uh, Gundogan wasn't particularly quick at closing down the defensive midfielders of Celtic. Um, I thought that sometimes there's a little bit of confusion on the wing, whether the winger should press or whether Aguero should press. I think that a lot, of, so many of our goals this season and so much of our success has been off the ball as well as um, on the ball with the likes of De Bruyne and, and our other class. 
So I think that was a huge problem in the game. Yeah, and I think they definitely missed him on the counter. I think ultimately, though, they just didn't carry out what I assume was the game plan well enough. Um, so I think that was the frustrating part for me. It was just watching them and just thinking, go, go get them. Yeah. They, 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 it was sort of – I'm not sure what it was. Do you, do you think they were – I don't know. Do you think the atmosphere had anything to do with it? Um, I could maybe account the atmosphere to make some individual errors, but in terms of the overall team strategy, I'd, I've I've never seen an atmosphere affect that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 the atmosphere isn't going to affect Gundam yeah, let, closing let's in. Let's be clear: these are professional football players who yeah. play at the highest level. If you yeah. play in a damn Champions League final. Then you've played at the Bernabeu with uh, everybody whistling and 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 doing the little hanky thing and and. I guess the... I guess the way I would rephrase it is, particularly given the slow start, how they just, especially in the first twenty minutes, they just looked like they were getting run over. Um, I wonder if maybe they were a bit caught off guard by the occasion. They, yeah. That's the that's the problem, though. They shouldn't have been. How no. much money did this? Well, I'm not even cost? saying that. I'm not even saying they were. I'm asking. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think you could argue that they were for sure. And I know what you're saying, Josh. You, you're right to be very frustrated about it. But oddly, these things happen to almost every team in football. Yeah, I mean, as as Guardiola pointed out, Barca have lost there, United have lost there, so it's I'm I'm not yeah, I don't think this is the end of the world, but I was yeah I think I think I don't think that the atmosphere would have overawed them had they not given up the early goal, and I think that is yeah. ultimately if they were rattled, I think that is what rattled them. If we did actually press like we did against say. I don't know, West Ham or any of these games we've previously played and uh, and then retained possession in the early parts of the game, we would have killed that atmosphere and not had the problem in the first place. Yeah, and that's the thing. They've The, the, the tougher away games they've played, they obviously played that away game at, 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 at Bucharest and they played at Old Trafford. They scored early both times and they took the lead. And that kind of took the wind out of the sails. Here you get Celtic scoring inside, you know, what, three minutes or so? And I think that knocked them back a bit. I think if they hold out for 10, 15, 20 minutes, they don't allow anything. They don't even have to score. But if they just sort of take the sting out of that atmosphere for 10, 15, 20 minutes, I think they're fine. But I think giving up the goal that early, I think that shook them a bit. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, it it was... I, I I imagine that that's one of the reasons that we couldn't get all three points, but it was so preventable that in a way it was very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I agree completely. Um, and I I guess the 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 other thing let's I want to talk about the bright spots because we've we've gone here we've been talking about this and this and this, and we know that. There were several things went wrong in the build-up to the first goal. Plus, he was offside, but you know the defending was bad, so you can't completely sit here and just use that as an excuse. 
Yeah. Um, the second goal, Sterling, it just not, they didn't, they, there were mistakes again that led to the second goal. Sterling got the, the, the touch on it, but, um, and of course the third goal just caught off, just has to clear that. There's no two ways about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I thought, you know, when they got control, like the, the Sterling goal in particular, and the third goal was actually, I thought, pretty well worked as well. Um, and you just have Nolito popping up in the right position again, always just seeming to know where to be. That was great passing play before that. It was it, really, it, really good, yeah. Very buried that. Um, that would have been like easily one of the goals of the week in the Champions League, I think. Yeah. Um, but Sterling's goal probably is one of the goals of the week in the Champions League because, once again, he just obliterates this poor, sad defender and just sort of sneaks it right past the keeper. And you just look at the confidence that he's playing with and you wonder, you know, what he's really capable of now because the sky, once again, seems to be the limit for Raheem Sterling. It wasn't even just the goal this time with with Sterling. Um, he was consistently our best player on the pitch. Absolutely. He, he Every time he was on the ball, you thought that something might happen. And even when the likes of Silva was on the ball or Nolito, I didn't have that feeling. And I think it was maybe just we needed that injection of pace um, when the game slowed down later on. And the way he was cutting in from the right and then he had spells on the left was absolutely fantastic. Um it was a shame that we couldn't. Uh, he couldn't have steered us to all three points because he deserved to be on the on a winning team out there. But yeah, um, it was just a, a shame that not many of the uh, the players were playing at his level last night. I guess, and and of course the the finish was all about him making a superb run in behind, and then again, like against Swansea, and like we've already seen against the likes of West Ham, having the composure in front of goal, his complete lack of panic is uh, such a refreshing change from previously. Joe, do you, I, I mean, we talked about many different times on this podcast, and you look at Sterling's last two goals, where... In previous situations, I think he overthinks it and flubs the shots. And and I saw an interesting quote by Walcott yesterday after Arsenal's victory uh, in the Champions League where Walcott said, I finally figured out that I, I play my best football when I just don't think. How much of this is down to Sterling finally not thinking? And I know that that sounds really odd to say. <laughs> like, normally it's the other way around. But sometimes in sports, you don't want to think. Things should be automatic. You should, you want to be thinking. But in those goal scoring situations, you already want to know what you have uh, in your arsenal before you arrive at the spot. And it appears to me that Sterling is arriving in the box with intent and that he's intent on making people look foolish um, as, as they come after him with his natural ability. And this is now twice that he's broken a defender's ankles in the last two goals. <laughs> How much of this is down to Sterling's confidence apparently being through the roof right now? 
Well, I've played this this sport before, albeit to a, a very poor level compared to City. But all right, that's it. You're off the podcast. <laughs> we we only want professional ex footballers on this show. But I, I and I've and I've played as a striker as well, and it's something you get with confidence is what you mentioned. Everything seems to come automatically. Your legs almost seem to do it. It's it again. It seems. Uh, like a stupid thing to say, almost playing, not thinking, but it happens. It, your legs seem to uh, do it for you. Everything se- seems automatic when you have that injection of confidence. Whereas, and and this goes not just for this sport by any means, by for all sport. If you're low on confidence, you then do start think overthinking things, and it's obvious that Pep has given him that uh, huge injection of confidence as soon as he got back from the Euros. And that, that's meant that he he's playing as if he doesn't have any pressure on him whatsoever. He's playing like if he makes an error, if he misses like he has done earlier this season, if he, if he could have scored but didn't, it doesn't matter. He'll get a chance in five minutes. He'll make something happen in five minutes. Yeah, where... his own goal was followed up by that. Yeah. Yeah, like eight minutes later. Um and that's what I'm. That's why I asked about the confidence in the Pellegrini era. Sterling pops in an own goal, and I think he's ruined. Yeah, in the I, I would point. Era, I would point to remember the cup final against Liverpool, and he missed that that first glorious chance he missed, and then mm-hmm. the whole thing just seemed to speed up on him, and he missed yeah. another, and he missed yeah. another, and they had to take him off just for his own good because they weren't going to let him take a penalty. Because the crowd was starting to get into yeah. it and really yeah. it was, on him. And it was starting to, yeah, it was clearly starting to fall apart on him. Um, and I don't, I, I, sorry, I, I don't want to make assumptions about Pellegrini because we don't really know what goes on behind the scenes, but do you think he's gonna, Pellegrini is going to be, going to have the same awareness that Guardiola does to make an effort with Sterling to go over to him no. mid-game to, no, to make that's... sure that he has that installation no. of I want to go next level on this question. No. How much of this started, and we'll start with you, Gray, then Joe, toss it to you. How much of this question, or how much of this started with Guardiola's phone call to Sterling after the Euros. I think a lot, actually. I think um, that's exactly where it starts. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I look at... there's I, I do baseball a lot, and there's a phrase in baseball that is roughly... Um, it's basically, you go, when I try to do too much, I don't do too much. And I think that what happens... There is that you look at Sterling when he tries, when he does have, like, I think you're onto something, when he has time to think, um, you know, don't think, just play. Um, when he does think too much, I think, you know, his finishing has been criticized. He has been, uh, but when you watch him, just like act on instincts. Don't, if, when, you know, they keep that phrase in your head. When you try to do too much, you don't do too much. Yeah. Um, and when he acts on his instincts, and when he doesn't think too much about it, when he doesn't even have time to think too much about it, you look at a guy who looks as good as anyone in this team. I I, th- I look back to that 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 group winning goal where he just opened up his body and parked it against Gladbach. 
that was an incredibly difficult finish given all of the circumstances. He had to wait just right. The goalkeeper was bearing down on him. He had a defender right there, and he just knew what to do. He opened up his body, and he sent that shot curling around the keeper. You know, Katie barred the door right there, done, over. And it was, for me, he didn't have any time at all to think about that. He had to shoot that ball, and boy, did he ever. Yeah, and something we haven't uh, spoken about uh, regarding Sterling is his just the improvement on the right-hand side in terms of his crossing ability as well. Last night, we've seen it all season, but last night there was him in particular that put at least three balls across, which could have someone could have got on the end of that, and we could have got a goal from it. And as Martin Tyler would say on uh, FIFA. That ball perhaps deserved a bit better response from one of his teammates. <laughs> that was a, a terrible accent, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Call it like you see it. <laughs> but uh, honestly, uh, it was in the first half especially where Aguero was seconds away from getting on the end of one of his crosses. His ability to whip a ball in is just unimaginable it's it's crazy how good it is i'd say he's only second to de bruyne on our team in terms of putting a quick ball across right now yeah um that's interesting gray were you gonna say something no i i was just yeah i was agreeing roughly um but what what do you think about it? it seems like you have thoughts about that josh yeah well no, I, I I definitely think that you're you're absolutely right uh, about Sterling, and I, like I said, I'm just wondering how much of this started going back to that phone call with yeah at, at the Euros and and Gray. I just wanted to get your thoughts. Do you think like if if this continues for Sterling, do we look back on that phone call and and say? Not this specifically, but if you need, you know, if you're writing down bullet points of things that Guardiola has done to prove he's one of the best managers in the world, do you not look at that phone call and say, here was a man at his lowest and could easily have felt like he was about to be displaced, especially with all the wingers City brought in. They brought in several wingers this uh this past transfer window, and and that'll definitely get your your mind thinking in overdrive if you're a player bereft of confidence. But that phone call from Guardiola to tell Sterling, you need to just relax, dude, because you're in my plans, and you're in my plans in a big way. And if you don't believe me, just wait and see what happens when you get back. Like the things that I'm going to do for you are going to be unbelievable. I, I imagine that that's how that phone call went. I'm par. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, go I ahead. That's, I think that's where it starts. And I think it's been an ongoing process since then, because he did still have all sorts of criticism after the Euros, after that phone call, but before he got into preseason with the team. So, I think that's the starting point, but I think it's been something of a journey the whole way until he actually got his hands on him and said, all right, here's how we're going to do this, and you're going to be able to do it. Um, 
I think it's, you know, ongoing process is, is the best way to, to put it. Yeah. Um, I, 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 sorry to... No, I was about done. Go ahead. Um, I think the phone call, as things stand, is the turning point without doubt. But if that's in first place, I think in second place was his move to the right-hand side. There's no doubt he can... Oh, yeah! But, but it, it, just by moving him to the right-hand side, he can then translate that injection of confidence into playing his natural game. He can now run at defenders and put a cross in without having to cut back on his right foot. And it's the small things like that. I, I think the right-hand side is no doubt his natural position. I, I'm going to continue to beat this in until uh, the mothership plays our segment on air uh, where I said on the City Watch podcast before the season started that Raheem Sterling was 20 times better on the right than he is on the left. And Asom was like, really? You think so? And I'm like, I know so. Like, I can see it by watching him play on the left. I can see the confidence on his face on that left-hand side. I can see the wheels turning in his head when he's on the left-hand side trying to create. Versus when he's on the right side, everything seems to come to him by instinct. And he has decimated fools coming in on that right-hand side. He's much more unpredictable on the right-hand side as well. Defenders, I mean, now he can go towards the byline and use his right foot to cross. Unlike, well, he couldn't do that on the left-hand side because he, he can't put a good enough ball in with his weaker foot. Now he can do that. He can go either way against the fullback, and that's elevated his game so much. Gray, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have anything to add that you two haven't already said, but I think you're looking at a player who has... The, the, as a manager, part of your job, and a very important part of your job, is to put players in the best possible position to succeed. Um, you, you know, you can, you, you do a lot of things in, as a football manager, but one of your most important jobs is put setting a player up to do the best they can. And, and I think that with Sterling more than any other player, Pep has done that by putting him on the right, says, all right, this is where you work. Let's not mess with it. And between that and the confidence boost and he probably has made him, you know, we don't know what they do behind the scenes on the training pitch, what have you, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that he's already made him a better footballer. Um, between all that, I think you're seeing what Guardiola can do to a, a young, still impressionable player in particular. The last thought I, I want to talk about Sterling and Gray, I'm going to toss this to you because you kind of got left out. What I want to ask you is... We've mentioned everything about what he's gotten better at, but the one thing that we've not talked about is his finishing. We've not talked about how much more clinical he's become in front of goal. In fact, he's now embarrassing fools in front of goal. So, um, any plaudits for his improvement? Oh, excuse me, Soderbergh. Any thoughts on his improvement as a finisher? And more than that, I'd like, and I realize it's guesswork, 
But they, you can take an educated guess as to why he's become so much more clinical in front of goal. Is it having guys like Ian Nacho? Is it having a team full of guys? Because if you look at Sterling's best season prior to joining Manchester City, it was that Liverpool team with a fully healthy Sturridge and a Luis Suarez, which when you have that going, that's – is an, that's – I will forever be shocked that Liverpool didn't lead the, win the league with that trident. Like that, when when you have Daniel Sturridge at full health, world class, and you already have Luis Suarez, like is it is it the combination of all the players around him, or do you think that this comes down to having worked with so many different finishers that you can't help but get better? Well, I think there's a lot of work on it that has been done. You know, I I don't know how much, you know, you can watch these other players and I'm sure that helps to a degree, but I don't, I'm not sure how, how, how much better it makes you overnight. Um, the, 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 the only thing I would say going back to what I said earlier, um, is the notion of, you know, not thinking too much about it. Um, because a lot of his best finishes this year have just sort of been spur of the moment things where he has, you know, he had to do something. He had to make a decision. He had to do something. He had to either go at the keeper or round the keep, what have you. Um, and I think you look at that, you look at the moment yesterday, um, when he had the keeper one-on-one after the ball by Silva plus the defender and his only option was basically try to shake the defender and shoot there was and and he did get it on target he didn't really have time to size it up he didn't really have time to um to 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 really think through you know i'm going to put it right in that corner it was just get it past him and go and that's what he did you know i think that there's a lot of natural talent there and there always has been and I think that that's what it, that when you put Sterling in situations like that, obviously he has had great players playing around him who can put it on a tee for him, but that doesn't mean he didn't still have a lot to do in the goal at the weekend or the goal against Celtic. He had a lot to do both times and it's just sort of, here's a defender, here's the keeper, let's take him out of this. And he's come across well. There's just a lot of natural skill there. So I think he's worked on it a lot, but I think that there's a degree of the situations he's putting himself in or been put in that, that's actually helping him. Good call, good call. Gray, do you have any follow-up to that? Or, excuse me, Joe. Uh, no, well, Gray's covered it really well. Uh, I'll just summarize. That's why I asked him if he had any follow-up is because he covered it so well I wanted to come back to him again. <laughs> I, I guess to summarize, he's had the he has the class intangibles to change a game, and Pep is just accentuating those intangibles. And the confidence is giving him a chance to express his natural ability. Could and not instinctively, obviously. Could not agree more. 
Uh, I'm going to ask the first part of this question, and I'm going to save the second part for afterwards. But what I want to ask you is, have Celtic found the blueprint to beat this city side? Because the same holes that have been there at the weekend and the previous week were kind of there. There are some things that people are starting to notice about this Manchester City side. How worried do people, do fans, supporters need to be moving forward? My response to that is, um, I'm going to think back to when Pep first joined us. And something that we got all excited about was the way that he was able to adapt his tactics and squad strategy entering a game week by week. He could uh, um, he could change his strategy completely based on the team he's playing against. So I'd like to have enough faith in Guardiola to say that Celtic have found the blueprint for last night's Man City. Uh, they have found the blueprint tactics for um, playing against that team on that strategy. But I, um, going forward, I'd like to say that Pep would have the tactical nous to change things quickly in-game and week by week um, based on what he expects from the opposition. So I think a manager as good as Pep Guardiola, it's difficult to have... Uh, one strategy in terms of the opposition uh, that they're going to play against City that's going to be effective. Because I imagine it's going to depend on... It's going to depend on each week as we play. I imagine it's going to change. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, Does it concern me? To a degree. But I I also know that City have the best manager in the world who who is going to adapt... Obviously, his overall philosophy will not change, but he will adapt to opponents, to how things are going, to how, you know, I, there's going to be an adaptation process, and it doesn't, that that part doesn't worry. There's going to be a lot of rondos in this week. That's the truth. has only had a few months at the club, and uh, without wanting to heap excuses um, on this game. He's, this is his starter strategy, basically. We're seeing the strategies that he's just opening with. He's still getting used to this squad. He's still getting used to playing in the Premier League. He's still getting used to playing with this squad in the Champions League. So he's only got sort of a basic outline of strategies where he can enter a game and be confident of winning. That's, of course, going to evolve over time. We're going to have more um, more variables of how we approach a game once Pep Guardiola spends more time with the squad. And I want to pile onto that by saying, and I know that people don't really like hearing this, but this is not the finished article. And that's I think that's very important to remember. Um, the, the, this city has a lot of growing to do yet. And even during the games they were winning, we have seen that. We saw, um, you know, against Swansea in the league game, I think, you know, Swansea kind of tried to do the same thing that Celtic did. And they didn't have as much success with it because they just, they weren't as effective or for whatever reason. I had 
to be honest, I just don't think they're as good. Celtic may not have the players, but I'll tell you what, they know how to play for each other. And they have the they know They know how to play for a country, and they know how to be. Celtic have history. And, yeah. <laughs> as, you, and as you noted at the beginning, uh, Gray, this isn't the first time they've come at a team far far superior to them on paper and we're like we're not afraid of you right and you know i think with a manager mind you that everyone thought that was a laughing stock now go ahead sorry yeah well i think he's he's above them to be quite frank with you but um yeah that's i think that they that that they know the strategy but i also know that the city team is still seeing feeling its way and they're still learning what they want to do, how they want to do it, how the best way to do it is. And this does lead nicely into a, into a quick discussion about the Spurs game, which I know we don't want to go on. No, it doesn't. It, do, it doesn't, because I'm <laughs> going to put a pause on that real quick. And oh, I want right. to talk about something else that came up during the game that's not listed on this run sheet. And, Gray, I'm going to start with you. Would Leroy Sané have been better served going out on loan? Because thus far... I'm not impressed with him, and I do not see any tangible signs of improvement. No, absolutely not. Um, I want him working under Pep. I don't see how a loan move helps him. Like, where would you, where would he go? Where would you put him? Everton. I, Everton? No, no. I don't want him at Everton. I want him at City. Um, I I think the same things that I said last time we talked about him are still true. Um, abbreviated preseason, um, the, the still learning, coming to grips with the Premier League, the pace, the players, everything like that. We're two months into the season, man. I think there's a point where some of those things have to fly out the window. And he didn't even, he wasn't even fit until the first, until after the first international break this we month. Are, we are two months into the season, but in terms, that doesn't really translate into game time for him. Like, he, he still hasn't had the, required amount of game time for a 20-year-old still learning a different system than he's ever played before in a a new country. But if this were any other 20-year-old, how many people would be screaming, oh, yeah, he totally belongs in the team? Like, I realize that Pep values youth. I realize that Pep loves to win with youth. That's fine. But how many 20-year-olds are starting on the regular at a high-profile club. And when you look at how many are already in the club and how many are already starting, I think that there comes a point where you reach, I don't want to say a plateau, but it's like, okay, there's got to be a Mendoza line, if you will, of youth and experience. And, and, and... Sané right now is no closer to cracking the top 10 uh, or the the top 11 of Manchester City than he is winning the presidency of the United States. That's Uh, true. Um, uh, uh, Go ahead. Sorry, uh, Josh, but um, I'd argue that we've deliberately set up so he doesn't have to immediately crack the top 11. I don't think Pep even expecting that. The idea of uh, uh, signing Nolito with that experience and then um, obviously Sterling's hit the ground running and we even kept Navas yeah. on. Remember when we 
we thought Nolito was to help Sterling along. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, I think, yeah, that was crazy. Um, <laughs> that shows how much uh, everyone... When we, do our, when we do, I'd like to do at the end of the year, Gray, if you're down. Our, our bad prediction special? Yes. <laughs> yes, I really would. There would be no I, shortage of them. No, no, there will not. And we can have some fun laughing about our terrible, terrible predictions. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, but, I, but yeah, what but, I want to say was it a mistake not to start Navas? Um, no. Yeah, uh, I agree with you that. Think it was a mistake to start uh, to not start Navas, uh, Gray. I would no, I wouldn't start Navas. I think the attacking front was 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 fine. You know, yeah. I don't know who you drop for Navas. I think Sterling, I, no, he had the best game <laughs> of anyone on the pitch. Nolito, yeah, I, I didn't think Nolito was bad. I think you know he was getting in the same positions he always does. It was just there was a little bit of chaos well, in the midfield the, behind him. By the virtue of Nolito scoring a goal, that automatically means that he was a better pick than Navas. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I even if think... he even if he hadn't, I think Nolito, you know. There were times when these players struggled to get in the game, but that was because I don't think City had control of the game. And I think that's where it starts and ends. And you're not putting Navas in midfield. Yeah, yeah, the, the source of our problems wasn't on the wing. In fact, they were they were our best players, really. I think it was from the centre of the park. Um, so, yes. I think, ultimately, your attacking players, uh, your, your attacking trio in this instance, are always going to look worse when your midfield three aren't holding control of the game letting them do yeah. things. I think that's just the way it's going to be. You know, we looked more lively in the second half, even though we had lost some energy and the chance creation had sort of dried up, but we looked more in control after the 3-3 when they sort of got control of the midfield and things started to shore up a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah it's funny. As soon as they gained control, the game basically shut down. And I think that's where you look at Brendan Rodgers and say... That's kind of a genius move. Like, forget City. I'm not going to let City have an ounce yeah. of, of of moxie in this game. If they're starting to get control of it, I'm going full Jose Mourinho on it, and I trust my team to shut it down and see through this point. And I also think he knew that, that his players were starting to become a bit tired and the, well, I also think you knew the city's players weren't providing much in the final yeah. third. Either. No, no. I think it was several factors, but I think he knew that about the hour mark, his players were not going to be able to keep up the intensity that they had, and it was time to sort of stifle City as opposed to going for a fourth. All right. Now, Gray, you mentioned that dang Spurs game. So yeah, let's, jump, let's jump right into this it. It's going to be a lot so of fun, isn't it? All that, all that discussion we had moments ago before I asked about uh, Sané, I'm going to bring back and ask about the Spurs. Does the blueprint that Celtic used to beat City, uh, does that give you pause does that give you confidence because look first and foremost the spurs are without harry kane and the spurs without harry kane are like city without aguero during the pellegrini era (laughs) a very blunted attacking option who wins by virtue of the fact that they really are quite a, a, a talented team and i can't say enough about their defense man like 
the Spurs defense is something to behold. I mean, they're the Premier League version of Atletico Madrid, man. They they're ruthless. Um, Alderweireld is possibly the best centre back in the league right now. I think. Yeah, I wonder if Barca regrets letting him go. Yeah. Um, how much, Joe, does the fact that uh, Celtic were able to do this so easily to City, how much of that concerns you going up a team with the quality of the Spurs? Spurs, I think one of the... Uh, just to sort of deviate from the question, one of the concerning aspects of Spurs has always been their lack of pace, particularly up front. It's meant that uh, a lot of their football is played in front of the defence. And I think most of our problems came from um, Celtic getting in behind our defence. Um, and that all started with the pace of Dembele. And I wonder if Spurs can replicate what Celtic did. I know that sounds ridiculous given they have far better players man for man, but Celtic pressed because they pressed from the front with Dembele's pace uh, that was working against Kolarov's lack of pace. And uh, I guess it'll be uh, Vincent Janssen that starts up front for them, who's a completely different player to Dembele. He plays back to goal like a slightly better Wilfred Boney. Um, he's well, that's not, not saying much. <laughs> well, I have, to be fair to Janssen, I haven't seen anywhere near enough to make a judgment, but that's the sort of player we're getting. We're not getting a fast player, they, we're getting a physical they, they player. They do have Son in a real purple patch at the moment, too. They do. Um, and I think, if anything, it'll be him and Lamella that will cause us problems um, because I still think that fullback is a weak area for us. Um, whether, I mean, I trust Sanya enough to say that he could do a job with against Son, uh, definitely over what I'd say about Zabaleta, but that's where we will have our problems. I, I'm not sure. I think there'll be different problems to what we face Celtic just by the way Tottenham play. Yeah. Um... I would look, um, Colin Trainer, who writes for Stats Bomb, just tweeted this while we were podcasting. Um, basically, his his pressing numbers, a metric that this that ranks how quickly teams win back possession, um, you know, out out in out, when they're out of possession. Manchester City are number one, and Tottenham Hotspur are number two. So. It's sort of a clash of styles. Like I said, Rondo's aplenty. Ah, uh, yeah, it's going to be very much a clash of, of styles, uh, of, of similar styles. They're going to try to do the same thing to each other. Um, and the thing that worries me is that Spurs are both better than Celtic and probably better at pressing than Celtic because they've been doing this since Pochettino arrived. So this is not a new thing for them. It's still newer to Man City. And if City pressed against Spurs like they did against Celtic, then, yeah, I'm not going to feel great about this. But, on the other hand, I don't think Guardiola will let that happen again. Um, yeah. Did I, either of you see that gif going around? And it was sped up. But it was one of the goals in the in the uh, Bournemouth game 
where they said uh, for all those fools who said having a goalkeeper like we were complaining about Pep needing a goalkeeper to play with their feet should watch this and you see like the real time action of the passing going back and forth between uh, the center backs and Bravo and then all of a sudden the attack opens right up and that's when City spring right back down the field and score a goal and it was sped up pretty quickly, so everything unfolds rapidly. But you you look at their ability to avoid, and it was a high-pressing team. I mean, they were coming after them. And City moved the ball rather effectively and got it out of there and actually turned it into a goal. I'm curious if either of you ever saw that. I didn't, but um, I, I think that's something that... Bravo's uh, game uh, goes unnoticed in Bravo's game and our game in general um, just because Bravo when I, when I've seen him play and certainly in the last few games when he plays a pass he can often take three opposition players out of the game in completely uh, especially if he finds a midfielder like he's so capable of doing uh, what I'd add on to that is that Spurs can actually do that they're one of the few teams that have the personnel to do that, Lloris is good at it and they have ball-playing um, players at the back, so it'll be interesting to see if they can do it against our press. If you have uh, a Belgian, you have a ball-playing defender. <laughs> I, I, they I, have plenty of Belgians. <laughs> I'd have to back what Gray said. I'd have to say that our press is going to be much superior to that against uh, Celtic. So I, I see us hopefully uh, going back to the way we played against um, the likes of West Ham and Bournemouth and United, of what, course. What I would add, um, r- roughly, is that, um, you know, they will miss De Bruyne. They absolutely will. But if they do press, I think they'll be, be okay. Um, we, we know what Spurs are going to do are going to do. And I don't think that their game plan, the Celtic game changes their game plan at all. They were going to do this either way. Um, maybe they'll feel a bit more confident about it, but this, I don't think this changes anything with regards to how they're, how they're going to handle their game planning for Guardiola's city. So, um, I think you look at that, you look at, I am the things that worry me are Spurs being a little bit more further along with their pressing style and thus perhaps better at it, even if we you know, we we will press, I expect, but they might be better at it. And that is ultimately what what worries me the most. Um, is that they're a well drilled side, a well coached side, and a well you know they're they're very well drilled. They know what they're doing, and they're probably my favorite team to watch outside of Manchester. Yeah, they 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 too are 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 unbeaten. Yeah, uh, in the league this season. So, albeit their wins have yeah. come much closer to like the uh, Catanaccio. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's very different, obviously, but um, I think the the, the case. What what the situation is, um, you you look at 
a team that that really this is going to be a really stern stern test, and I I would argue the sternest because yep. that is a well drilled team that really knows what they're doing and really has a way to play that is going to challenge City big time. And unlike, and unlike United, they actually had a transfer window built, <laughs> on, built on making their team better. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of queries about how we line up. Ah, um, uh, yes. Well, I was about but, before you asked that. I was about to ask the most important question of the day. Go ahead, uh, Gray. It is ultimately your call. Do we give any more shits about guessing now that we've gotten it wrong for the 10th game? <laughs> I was so confident about this one, too. I know. So was I. Oh, you know, I suppose there's some, it's, there's some sport to it now. Okay. I will. I will. I will. <laughs> At this point, I kind of want to do it to get one right. And then <laughs> <laughs> we get I, one we'll just right open the over. podcast with a giant celebration. So, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's. Well, I'm, I will let Josh go in, or uh, I will let Joe go into his point. But you know what? I'm gonna think on this, and I'm gonna try to do it, and I'm gonna make another fool of myself. Screw All it. Right, let's do it, Joe. Make thine well, point. Well, rather than make a prediction. Oh no! Uh, oh no! Like, <laughs> if, we're, if we're going out like assholes, so are you. <laughs> well, I'll begin then by saying what I want to see. Um, for me. Gundogan wasn't quite there against Celtic, and I'm not sure why that was. But I'd now say that given that Spurs have got Dembele back, who looks immense, uh, and put him against, uh, put him next to Eriksen, and that's a superb combination in the middle of the park, I'd argue that we could play Fernando alongside Fernandinho in this game. Um, just because, just to stop that threat in the middle of the park, just to also solidify um, us in possession, I'd say. Um, and also, I know about the lineup. I think, and I think he will this time. So I'm going to say that he will play. Um, I think Navas has to play in this game. Um, Spurs' threat on the wing, and their fullbacks are so fast as well. Um, but with Lamella and Son and then Walker and Rose playing behind them, that's going to be difficult to counter. So we're going to need Navas. We're going to need the legs to track back. And he has to play with Sterling on the wing. Yeah, you know, I don't know. If, I mean, I know you've listened to the podcast, but our entire argument has been, and, and I think where we got it wrong is that we forgot Nalita could play. Um <laughs> Uh, had, had but with Nolito out, there's no other choice but Navas because when it comes down to it, Pep Guardiola needs one of his wingers to be tactically brilliant, and Navas is that. Navas provides so much on the tactical side that Sane clearly does not, and uh, at least not yet in his career, nor does Sterling at this point. I would argue that Sterling is closer to uh, Ribéry than Robin um, in terms of his rawness. That's not to say he won't get there, but but Sterling's best attributes at this present course in time are outwitting his opponents. It's, it's just humiliating them or burning past them. And I think you need to have one guy opposite that 
who's always thinking and using his brain. For as ineffective as novices' crosses are, he does create a lot of them out of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I... Um, yeah, definitely. I think we can probably all agree. I don't want to speak for you here, Gray, but we can probably all agree that Navas is integral to uh, this weekend game. I'm, I'm keep, I'm keen to think, I'm keen to um, listen to what you think about Fernando, though. Ha- having you guys watched the game midweek and the last couple, do you think that he's needed now against a much tougher team? It's, it's an interesting shout. I am with you with on Navas, by the way, just to get that out of the way. And I think you've both said it quite well. I think your your attacking trio is uh, Navas, Sterling, Aguero, provided they can all play and they're all fit. Um, they brought Fernando on yesterday, and the game was kind of in control by then, but he seemed to settle down the United game as well. And yeah. once he was on yesterday, there weren't really any problems from the defensive side of things. So I think that is a solid call because I agree. Gundogan has kind of looked not great over the last couple of games. And I think there's something to be said for a long injury layoff that he's still completely getting match fit again. I think his legs are under him, but I think that there, there's been a lot of football lately. Let's be honest. Um, so so I, who plays at number 10 then? Silva. You're not going to move. Oh yeah, I guess if we've got novice on the left and yeah. Sterling on the right, that yeah. answers that. Yeah. All right. I would put I would put yeah Silva um, alongside um, for, Fernando and Fernandinho as your two deeper midfielders, and I think you have to play Sanya right back. I wasn't all that impressed with Zabaleta yesterday. I thought he struggled, um, and I think if your center back pairing is a no brainer. I think it's Stones and Otamendi. And I, I might give, I would give Clichy a shot at left back too because, mm. um, pace. is yeah, pace and is, is, I think he is more up to the task of defending against those wide players than Colorado yeah. will be. So that's my eleven, with Bravo and goal, obviously. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm all in on that eleven. <laughs> uh, one more thing I'd just like to say about Zabaleta, and we all, we all love the guy. He's. A legend of the club, I'd say. But uh, this season, he kind of just hasn't put it together. And I don't want to play the age card, but uh, I mean, he, he he was possibly at fault um, for Celtic. Let, let me job. ask you this question, Joe. Okay, because I, I think you're heading down this path, and you can I, you'll be able to pick up right where you left off. Yeah, go ahead. Do you think Pep Guardiola's phone call to Navas to tell him that he was part of the plans was a political move rather than a, for lack of a better term, tactical move? Because tactically, it's been a boner. Do you mean, sorry, do you mean Navas or Zabaleta? I mean Zabaleta. Did I say Navas? Yeah. (laughs) I apologize. Zabaleta, excuse me. Um... Yeah, I think so. I, I'm I'm unsure about that because maybe Pep thought that maybe Pep saw enough in preseason to think that he could be good enough as a rotational player. But the the so must Pep have been a needs lot of an eye doctor. Got it. <laughs> there must have been a lot of uh, political emphasis on the move. I think. Um, I'm, I mean, he's 
I mentioned the mistake last night. It was potentially he was in the wrong for that goal. And then I think back to the West Ham game when Antonio scored the header. And I know we, we put a lot of blame on Clichy and Caballero there, but that ball should have never gone in in the first place. And Zabaleta failed to get close enough to the winger uh, to allow that to be stopped. And uh, he's just looking leggy and he, he just hasn't really picked up from... Uh, a couple of years ago, um, and I, I don't know. I, I last week I saw Hector Bellerin play uh, uh, against Chelsea, and I thought, "Wow, imagine him!" Does, it, does anybody want a, a right back more in the transfer window than I than I want Hector Bellerin? <laughs> oh, I am so no. with you. Uh, he uh, is. He would be perfect. He is. I, I think if he played for our team, he could be considered one of the best right-backs in the world, uh, without doubt. I think he's almost already there, but um, he, he, he's just so complete. He, he has everything that would work for Pep. Uh, that setup to Walcott was just... I mean, that's oh, just... That, yeah. And you know what about... And you know what, what, what I thought when he set Walcott up? That is such a Pep Guardiola thing to do, <laughs> unselfish play. Take the goal. Take the goal. Yeah, what uh, if what I would say if uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but on the on the can we just stop saying we don't mean to interrupt? We do mean to interrupt. We re- yeah, we really do. Um, on the politics of the Zabaleta situation, I'm not sure it was Pep Guardiola had no problem booting Joe Hart out the door. Who I think, I think a lot of fans would have been a lot more forgiving of Zabaleta being sold because I think there's an acceptance that you know he's getting older. And there is a standard. That... No, Zabaleta was there before the takeover. There. Oh, I know. There's sentimentality about Zabaleta that doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, all right. Either and way. With Joe Hart, I think what you're saying is quite true because in a way, um, I mean, Joe, Joe Hart just didn't fit the system at right. all. Right. And that's but, why... But, uh, I'll, no, you go ahead and finish. But, but at the same time... Um, not only was the a um, you know the political side of things with Zabaleta, but also he does ultimately, as a player, fundamentally fit a Pep Guardiola team on the ball. He he can overlap as well. Um, he's he's that sort of player that Pep was after. So maybe Pep obviously factored in the political side, but saw another year in him, given his traits that align with sort of how Pep wanted to play in his first season at City. I think that has a lot more to do with it than the political side of things, honestly. Um, and I think there was much the same reason that Yaya Torre is still here. I think there was a combination of... I think they could have found a taker for Zavaleta, but I'm not sure that they found the right back in the transfer market that they really wanted to no. go on. Um, no. I think... I, so I think less politics... I, I'm not saying that they couldn't have played a role, but I think Guardiola is less concerned... With politics, I think it's more he thought he could do a job for a year and they weren't – I know they weren't really that in on a replacement either. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where maybe both uh, – Yeah, I'm not sure either of us are wrong here. Could have factored in both the political and the playing side. Um, One one final thought on Hector Bellerin. Uh, I don't want to just talk about a a player that isn't playing for City. You can but, have um, final thoughts on Bellerin. I don't <laughs> care. I could talk about him all day. 
Um, this is a, a guy, uh, we all know his ability. Well, this is a guy who's good friends with Arteta and is technically, by Premier League relega- regulations, a oh. homegrown player. So I, I say <laughs> I say we go all out for Hector Bellerin. And out. Barca want him too, so all out. out will be what it takes. Mm-hmm. And my goodness, him at Barcelona would be outrageous. So I we need to get I him can't have it, yeah. No, no. Uh, um, I ha- all right. So you ready for me to surprise you with my starting eleven? Oh, go, go for it. it. Try it. Try us. I have the just exact. Before, just before you start, I'm gonna go all in in what Gray said. So I'm with Gray's lineup. So you go ahead. You, Gray was in on your lineup, though. Yeah. Well, I guess See, we kind of combined. We did. You combined with the. I, I picked the back four, and you picked the front three, basically. Yeah, <laughs> in, the, in the midfield. So, Josh, I want you. Let's see how you mix things. I, I I am going to agree with you on everything uh, with regard to uh, uh, well, basically everything. But I think that there will be two changes that could be possible for me, and one of them. One of them, I, I think, is just sort of a wild card. I'm not confident in it. I do think that that Sanya will get the start, but uh, would not be at all surprised if one of the younger players got that shot back there. Um, uh, now, here's the one that I am complete uh, that I think I may be convinced about. More so than Fernando, I think that Garcia. Uh, his his name did come into my head actually. That's not I just a bad thought shout, actually. I just thought the game would maybe be too big for him at this nope. stage. I don't think the I don't the way I've seen Garcia playing games, these things don't look too big for him. This looks like a guy who seems pretty comfortable in his setting. He knows what his role is. He knows what he needs to do, and there's a lot of comfort in that. There's a lot of stasis, if you will, in, in knowing what you need to do and knowing you have the capability to do that. That allows you, I think, to settle into games and not allow them to get too big for you in your own head. On the uh, back of that, um, can I just ask you a quick question? Sure. Um, do you think, therefore, that he aligns with the way we play more than Fernando does? Is that why you picked him ahead? Oh, of- yeah. yeah. Alex Garcia is absolutely Pep's prototypical center defensive midfielder. Like, that he's he's born and bred to be a guy that Pep wants as, as, a, center def- as a holding midfielder. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd probably agree with that. I just... I think that I went with Fernando on the evidence of what I've seen this season. I know the the evidence is really good for Garcia as well, but in terms of Fernandine, Fernando stepping into a a critical game like the Derby or like um, last night, for example, and undoubtedly improving our midfield, I've got to think that that factors into Pep's. But decision. I've seen Fernando get washed. So yeah. Many- times by pace and I think that Alex Garcia because he's a bit more tactically savvy puts himself in position that he doesn't need to use pace 
And I think that Alex Garcia also stabilizes things in a way that allows Fernandinho to get forward, but also allows Garcia to get forward because he is an attacking threat. And in my mind, Pep's all about variability. When you put Fernando in there, you can be sure Fernando is going to do one thing, defend. He he offers so very little going forward that I probably offer more. Uh, but that's not his job. That said, it's not really Alex Garcia's job, but he can do it. And I think in that sense, having multiple scoring options on the field against a team like Swansea is going to be far more preferable. And in the worst case scenario, the game ends up being too big for Garcia you have Fernando at the ready, and and you just kind of say, okay, I made a mistake. Pep may have tied Celtic, but he's un- <laughs> on anything other than a win uh, in the Premier League. And, and I think he's earned the right to say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and start Alex Garcia in this one because... I think what he offers the squad gives me more options in this game. He's a guy that can link the play uh, up to the front three. He can get it to David Silva. And the way he commands space around him is very uh, composed for a young man of his age. And I just don't think that Fernando gives you that. I like your shout on Fernando. I just, as he was sitting there dawning on me, I'm like, but what, what about Garcia? He's been doing really well lately. And I, you know, at the risk of repeating myself, I just, I think he's a better attacking option. Yeah, I think um, just to back that, I, I'd say, to, to use football managers' uh, defined positions, um, Fernando is that prototypical uh, anchorman slash ball-winning midfielder, except sometimes he doesn't actually have the positional nous or the speed to win the ball. Um, Garcia is more of a deep-lying playmaker, whereas he does all of that, but he can also play those uh, deep balls. And I, I remember you uh, uh, likening him to like a Luka Modric almost, or at least someone did. It might have even been on the City Watch podcast as no, well. No, it was me. They don't credit <laughs> for it. It was me. Yeah, I think I remember that now, yeah. Um, but that's the, he, he offers... A sense of completeness that Fernando doesn't offer, which you've already covered there. And uh, going forward, he certainly offers more. Um, I, I do like that shout. I I still think Fernando will be there, but I like I like what your logic there. I think it makes a lot of sense. Gray, did I sway you? Um, I mean, I'm not going to change my team because damn you. Okay, but I agree with you. I think it makes a lot of sense logically. Um. Okay. I, I mean, I'm I'm not sure. Like, this is you know, me trying to project Fred, myself on Pep. I'm not sure he'll throw him into that game. Should he? I don't know, but I don't know that he will. I don't understand why he wouldn't though. Pep's everybody says. I know that. he does it too. Yeah, that's the thing. What about Pep? Um, in the past, has said, "Oh, this game's too big for a youth player." No, I get that. 
I get like, that completely. We had th- th- that mode of thinking doesn't apply to Pep, and that's why when I try and place myself in Pep, and place myself in Pep's head, I remove that notion of oh he's too young, the game could be too big for him. Pep doesn't think like that. That's not in his vocabulary. It's what he sees in the player, what the player offers him, and and how he views the player's overall impact on that game. He doesn't give a shit if the kid's 13 if he plays out of his mind. You know, I mean, you, you, FA and, and, and FIFA rules would prevent that. But, you know, uh, this is a kid... Uh, who's shown absolute composure every time he's been on the field. Uh, he he very much links up well with other city players. His pass is passing is is just incredible to me. But most importantly, Gray, I love the term that you use, so I'm gonna repeat it. He glides out there like silk, man. He is just so smooth. (laughs) And as as Joe said, Fernando just sort of clatters around like a bull in a china shop. He's very Fernando, isn't he? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I completely, you know. And if you get this one right, on our Sunday podcast, you can spend the first half hour of it just just rubbing it in our faces. I accept. We'll have music playing in the background. (laughs) music and everything it'll be a party can, can i make play the can troll, I make, play the troll a lull song no actually can i make a request on my music i yeah. would like the champions league theme song well then we're both gonna have to boo it yeah <laughs> yeah that but that gives you guys the ability to boo it while i'm babbling on for 30 minutes so it's a okay. win-win for everybody it's going to be quality radio quality you opened up a can of worms here because i don't believe in the booing <laughs> oh all right well then i'll boo <laughs> honestly I, I i i here's where i come down on the booing and it's something we never talked about on this podcast really to a major, major degree. We've talked about Pep's comments vis-a-vis the booing, but we've never talked about our personal stance on it. I think booing is a very personal matter for people. I think there will be some people who would rather forgive and just move on. They're well within their rights to do that. I think that there are some people who would like to... See, I sort of look at this as like the whole USC sanctions thing. This, it's a perfect analogy because USC were hit with sanctions that at the time every single USC fan knew was driven by agenda, was completely full of crap, and that people were lying out their ass to make sure that that thing went through to, to, to essentially put a stop to what USC had created. Um, it got Carroll into the NFL uh, because basically he was coaching a neutered team at that point and, and thus ended USC's reign. And now we sit here in the great period of five coach darkness. And it, it, there's just so many parallels to what happened with that and, and FIFA, except for the winning. Manchester City came out the other side doing so much better than USC. But in that, 
I saw a lot of USC fans react differently after, you know, time had passed and, and the investigation came out. And and I said this to the USC fans then, and, and I would say this to Manchester City fans now. However you personally feel about uh, the UEFA anthem, continue to do what you're doing, man. Like, don't let somebody tell you to stop booing the anthem. Don't be peer pressured into stop booing the anthem. If just because someone else thinks it's time to, to, to move on, that may not be your way of thinking. So, too, if you're one of those people who believes it's time to move on, you can't really sit there and turn next to the guy and tell him to stop booing. You're not really moving on if you're doing that. Let him be him or her. You be you and and let everybody win. I think it adds a little flavor, you know? Uh, the one thing about City fans is that they've always sort of been their own thing. Uh, they're a very motley crew, if you will. And, and I think that having some who are in favor of it and having some who are not in favor of it of it typifies exactly what city is as a club, as an organization, as a fan base. And, and I would just say that no matter how you feel about it, you're right. That is very nicely put. I can't really say anything, uh, added on to that, to be honest. Um, obviously I, I, uh, I agree with what you're saying and I fall on the side of, not booing. I I didn't boo in the uh, the game I went to uh, in the Champions League, um, and whilst other people did, but I I'm like you said, I'm not going to turn around and tell other people to stop booing because it's well within anyone's right to to act the way they want within reason. Um, I, I guess I just think that it doesn't it doesn't set the right tone to start a game. Would be my argument. Um, the reason uh, my alternative suggestion would to be be to chant over it, um, like uh, just even if it's simply singing "City" or the the Pep Guardiola song, something like that, um, as an alternative, just because it's it's not booing and and the players aren't here booing as they're about to uh, play a really difficult game, but um, at the same time, it's a suggestion that a few of us have, but I'm never going to about to... But the players, you got to remember, man, the players, this is what people seem to forget. Everyone thinks it sets the wrong tone, and I'm not saying that you're wrong. Management may feel that way, but has anyone ever stopped to think how the players felt when they couldn't bring in new acquisitions and they subsequently weren't able to bolster their team with proper reinforcements to defend a title that a lot of these people, a lot of these players felt they had the ability to do, especially with the backing of this ownership group, with with the way they just finished the season. Now, it turns out that Pellegrini was probably not going to do that anyway, given what yeah. we learned about him. But the players didn't know that at the time. And in their minds, some of them may even still feel like, hey, look, if Pellegrini had been able to get in one or two or more of his guys, who knows what happens? Like, when you're a player been in that situation and you get hosed 
over a rule that wasn't there that they then just created to punish you. Like, I'm sure that in their hearts, some of the players like Zabaleta, even Joe Hart, when he got to play that final Champions League game, yeah, they can't openly boo, but I'm sure in their hearts it swelled with a bit of pride because they know as players what it's like to get boned by the organization. And they see it all the time with the coverage of them. It doesn't matter what they do, they're at fault. It doesn't matter how City try. And City are a progressive club when it comes to economics, when it comes to expansion. They have truly put the global into the global game. And FIFA are doing their best for lack of a better term, to cock block City at every single turn. And and the whole motive of FIFA has been to create these ridiculous rules that sanction City in such a way that it's almost unheard of. And, and prior to that, it had been unheard of. And if you're a player sitting there going through that, why would it bother you that the fans hate the organization so much five years later that they keep booing? I get there comes a point where maybe you feel like there might be a time to move on, but I'm going to play devil's advocate for the people who are booing here for a second. Look, man, when you pour the kind of money that some of these fans have poured into the club over the years and BT Dub. I saw the really lovely letter that that the club uh, manager uh, wrote to your father. Yeah. And when you talk about a club that does stuff like that, who gets into the community the way that City does, who gets in touch with their fan base the way that City does, who embrace them, I'm sure that letter meant the world to your dad, and I'm sure at the, at the time that meant the world to you because of what it meant to your dad, and probably still does now that you can appreciate it later on in life. And yeah. for those of you who have not got the chance to read the letter, I suggest you go to Joe's Twitter page and check it out. It's a class letter, a very class letter from the organization. Back when they were playing at Main Road, mind you, in 1994. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, what what you're saying there is 100% right. I, I can't disagree with any of that. And ultimately, you know, pe- people can people are well justified in reacting the way they do. Um, I, I all the only thing that I was saying was kind of half based on uh, how Gundogan approached the post. Um, uh, match interview with what may have been his debut game um, in the Champions League, I think, against Gladbach. And uh, yeah, he just said that. Uh, I think he was asked about it, and he just said that it was a, a shame. And uh, he he didn't say that it was a shame that people were booing, but he said that it was kind of a, indirectly said that it was a shame that it had to happen. So that could be interpreted. In any way, but at the same time, he's also a guy who just came to the club. Yeah, that's very true. History, you know, like for him, it's a shame. For Pablo Zabaleta, he may feel very, very, very differently. Yeah. Um. Uh. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a very good point. So. And I'm sure that the booing will eventually die. Like honestly, 
at this point, I think half the people that are booing, it's sort of just become a tradition. It, you know, you, you follow American sports. Whenever David Stern took the stand to announce a pick in the NBA draft, booed every time in the first <laughs> round. It sort of just becomes a tradition. And David Stern embraced it. It became sort of a league thing. And when David Stern came to the podium to make the final pick that he would ever make, the crowd didn't boo. Instead, they busted into thunderous standing ovation applause because of what David Stern had done for the game. At the end of the day, the fans found a reason to hate him for some of the small things. But in the long run, they knew that David Stern had turned the NBA into a global juggernaut, second only to the, really, the NFL in terms of American sports and, and their broad appeal. And and, and, and the moment kind of moved uh, Stern as, as well as it should have. I mean, I, I think that sometimes things in sports start out with malice, become tradition, and UEFA is just the kind of petty organization that would be pissy about a tradition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do, do you want to chime in on this, Greg? Because all I have... um, I don't really, I don't have anything to add. We've we've gone on for a while, so right, well, I don't have anything to add. You should do your FIFA review. We're going to. Well, we're all going to do it. And we I, are. Joe, have you played FIFA yet? Gray, I know you have. Uh, not on my own console, but I, I have briefly played it. I, I feel like you guys are both a lot more informed than I am. Well, you will go ahead. Gray, I'm going to start with you. I know you've been playing the journey mode. I have not. I've just been playing a bunch of exhibition games. You're a season. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, then tell me, talk to me about what your first impressions of FIFA are. Oh, I'm, it's FIFA. I'm having fun with it. I mean, everything I've said before about how Pez probably plays a better game stands, but I have fun with it. It feels a little more fluid this year. But player, player graphics look outstanding. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good game in its own right, don't get me wrong. So I, I thought IGN's review, which I, I did not know yesterday until Damo pointed it out, was written by a massive City fan. Uh, but I thought IGN's review of the game was extraordinarily fair to an 8.4, whereas I believe Pez got a 9.5. Um, whatever you think about IGN, save it. <laughs> it's just a baseline for me. But I, I've played the journey mode, and I just have to say that if there's any reason for you to pick up FIFA... Uh, like Gray said, the gameplay is not it. Like, if you want to justify shelling out 60 bucks for a game that basically plays slightly, it's only slightly different. Uh, the only major difference that I've noticed is that pace is back and a bit overpowered. They toned it down in FIFA 16, and you couldn't just burst past center backs anymore. You can again now. Uh, but uh, outside of that, it's more or less the same game. Like Gray said, FIFA's FIFA. But the journey mode, that is the most fantastically amazing uh, uh, addition 
new feature to the FIFA series ever. Um, this... So I, I, I sorry. Um, so I don't really know what the journey mode entails. I can probably hazard a guess that it's about uh, a player. I know it's about um, Alex uh, Hunter. Alex Hunter, yeah. Who, by the way, who, by the way, sorry, would would be great in the England side. We need a player like that. Um, but yeah. Um, well, fantastic because he is English, and you have to. Be, the only downside to Alex Hunter is that you're forced to play in the Premier League, yeah. which my roommate was kind of bummed out about. Um, so my but, question is, what what does it entail? Do you do you begin in uh, in a, the reserves of a team and work your way through the squad, or no? You begin as a kid take, uh, taking a penalty shot with a scout in the stand. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know it goes back to the early life of Alex Hunter and sort of progress forward. You learn more about his life. I'm not going to say anything specific for those who yeah. don't. But you learn more about his life as the game unfolds. And every time someone talks to you, you get a choice of three different responses. And they fall under fiery, cool, or one that I assume is, like, just politically correct. It looks like those justice scales where it looks like you're just trying to, like, you know, play play it smooth and and not upset anyone. And you only have a limited amount of time before you have to pick an answer or it chooses one for you. Um, But uh, each interaction is sort of like choose your own adventure. It changes the entire outcome of the game. And every single facet from sponsorships to agents to not meeting your manager's uh, uh, goals, everything, you get set out on loan things like that, you are basically immersed in the life of a footballer, and they make you care about Alex Hunter in a very deep way, Um, which is something that I think a lot of sports games have been missing um, outside of, like, one or two that have brought you into the life of, of, of one of their characters, but... At a level like I think NBA 2K does it with with your character and their story modes, but as we all know, sports are about personal stories, and this captures that so much that if there's nothing else you buy FIFA for outside of the standard fare that I'm sure everyone plays, if you're not a Pez convert, then it, it's absolutely worth it to sit down and play the journey like i'm telling you the journey mode is so good that you pop it in and seriously like nine hours later you're like how did how did i do that like the the only real big complaints that i have about it is that occasionally it'll put you into some impossible situations like my team was down like four to one and it wanted me to go in and register like four shots on goal and to level the game and there were like 20 minutes left and I'm like wow you must think an awful lot of me as a youth player to do that (laughs) like what the (laughs) and uh 
But I may recommend if you do play it, play as the team. Don't just play as Alex Hunter. Every game you get to choose to play as the team or just as Hunter, which is basically the same as playing as, like, be a pro or the standard full 11. Uh, I'm telling you, playing as the full 11 is the only way to go because the other way will drive you insane. Because in the event that... Uh, you call for a pass and and your teammate like bombs it into the stands or something they penalize you for calling for a bad pass even if you were wide open <laughs> okay <laughs> it's like so what about the fact that he missed it and, and, and so yeah play as the team so you have complete control over it but I my final thing is, if you haven't played the journey mode, Mr. Gray Papke, do it. I'll get on with it. My problem is that I'm stuck between professional difficulty and world-class difficulty. One is too easy and one is too hard. So I can kill people like 6-1 and professional, but then I just get blitzed on world-class. And it's always been that way. I just learned to deal with it. I think um, I think the Ped's learning curve is much steeper. Well, yeah, when, it when is. You go, when you go from amateur to semi-pro or what is amateur to regular and then up yeah it is it is Pez's regular is probably FIFA's uh, professional yeah alright does anyone have any last words here no Uh, how about you Josh no just hope that City put in a, a quality performance on the weekend and that we have we <laughs> we have better things to talk about. We're still in really. at a draw. You know, <laughs> talk, talk about first world problems, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll be back on Sunday for that one. Um, and until then, we're on Twitter at America Citizens. Follow us there. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. It's on the iTunes store for free. And we are sponsored by Blog Talk Radio as well. So, for Joe and Josh, I'm Gray. This has been City Watch's American Citizens Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again real soon. Have a great rest of the week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 